Voices from the Dark, episode 1 million. Actually, I don't know what episode number it is because I haven't looked. Because I've been out of commission for a little while, people. And I think you might know this if you visit the website. Well, today is... I should always start with the date. What's today? The 25th of June, 2019. Is that right? Yeah. Is it a Tuesday or Wednesday? It is a Tuesday. Evgeny and I have just come from the bars on Maybakufa, and that means like the working out, the uh, exercise, calisthenics bars. Yes. And we're doing sort of an, uh, an experiment here. I've got a stripped down podcasting kit, one microphone, and one recorder, and one battery, one set of headphones, and yeah, it's super light. And I'm going to try to do this all summer on Voices from the Dark, where we're like, you know, doing new experimental content. We are in the Hopfenreich bar, which is a craft beer bar, 22 beers on tap. I really love the place. I'm enjoying uh, my second cold one right now. And uh, like I said, me and Evgeny just came from the, from doing some light working out on the Maybakufa. Me lighter than him, because I'm a biatch. Um, so, yeah. Evgeny, and this is a special episode. It's not falling under any of the categories. Spontaneous. Yeah, it, it's very spontaneous. Aside from the fact that I brought my equipment here. <laughs> and, uh, it's spontaneous for me. Yeah, it's just definitely spontaneous for Evgeny. And so it's been a while, I think, since he's done any podcast or any radio. You know, he's done the RBL Berlin. Uh, R- what was it? W- RBLWA. RBLWA. Uh, what is that? Radio Banda Larga with Attitude. attitude. And uh, yeah, so we've got some ambient sound here, but we're counting on that being a, a sort of benefit, a sort of plus to this um, episode and to future episodes which feature the same format. I've got Evgeny here on this episode to talk about his recent experience with meditation. And actually, I'll just let him tell you about that and any any other details that I think are, are like not coming out in his, his, in his blathering, I will get him to say it. So basically I'll ask him questions. But here he is, Evgeny Klisarov, the Bulgarian wonder, <laughs> the Evgilatine master, uh, talking about his meditation experiences in Italy, right? Yeah. So I just came back two weeks ago, no, less than two weeks ago, Ten days ago, I came back from uh, my second meditation, um, ten-day intensive meditation retreat, which means ten days in silence, doing pretty much nothing but meditating for the yeah the better amount of the day, the better part of the day, which is an interesting experience that me and Steve we decided that it's. It's a good enough topic for for an episode, <clears throat> and I don't really know where to start. Maybe a little bit of preface on how I started meditating and maybe why I started meditating and how the hell I ended up doing this two years in a row, sitting for ten days in a very socially. Um, yeah, it's it's a. It's it's a very strange situation that one can end up, but let me get there. Maybe around five years ago, 
Yeah, definitely. Five years ago, it was still at the time that I lived in Bulgaria. I I I was still very much interested in philosophy of mind and what exactly is a conscious state and how do we experience different conscious states, which led me to expand my area of interest not only to the westernized um, practices and traditions of, of, of critical thought and scientific pursuit, but to the areas of the world where it seems like the wisdom of the practicality of living a good life is condensed in some practices that we call under the umbrella term meditation. <clears throat> Actually, we have a Western um, tradition of meditation, one that I can think of, of, one of the greatest people and one of the biggest influencers in my life, uh, the great Stoic philosopher and Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius. He wrote a whole book for himself that it was never meant to be published called Meditations, which is on how to live a moral and philosophical life. But that's a different thing. Uh, meditations coming from the East are more of a practical way on how to live that good life. So whenever, whenever we get some kind of crazy noise, I think we should just be cognizant of, you know, take a moment to let it, let it right. pass by. Because in my experience, yeah, it does... It does kind of ruin the. So, anytime you hear a, a noise, you know, and this none of this is getting edited out because that's my my gorilla style or whatever. So, but if you do hear some noise, just trust that right. it's getting picked up and just like take a break and be like, and just tell the audience, you know. Yep. Sure. Okay. Um, so back to where where uh, I was. Um, this meditation umbrella term really summarizes a lot of uh, different avenues of exploring what the mind is and how do we experience the mind as, as a human being moment by moment in, in conscious experience. Uh, and one tradition stands out um, in the face of Buddhism. So the, the, the historical Buddha Siddhartha Gautama, born in India 25 centuries ago, um, is allegedly the f not the first but um, one of the first enlightened people that shared his experience in in more of a pragmatic way how one can achieve that and eradicate himself from all the unnecessary suffering talking in Buddhist limbo so his his whole path is called the the Dhamma the Dharma mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, basically it outlines the, the the way on how one should meditate uh, in, in this tradition. And of course, that being an ancient tradition, now it has different schools of thought that are related to this idea of the Buddha, the Dharma. And we have the oldest one that is coming from Burma and from India, called um, bah, I forgot and but that's irrelevant we have another major school of thought about Buddhism that it's coming from uh, Tibet as well and the difference between those two is uh, first of all they they have different rites and rituals in in order to uh, um, 
yeah, there are religious pra- practices that they do outside of meditation, but the meditation aspect is dramatically different from each other as well, which is which is funny because it, both of them supposedly are coming from the same person, the same teachings, but they are emphasizing very different aspects of the of the path of the meditation path, <coughs> and. Uh, um, the, the, the oldest one that is believed to be the direct teachings of the Buddha is teaching a technique called Vipassana and this is the technique that I uh, have been practicing for the past five years and this is the practice that I have been studying in these two intensive um, meditation retreats that I have been visiting for the past two years which summarized in few short sentences is pay attention to the reality what it is at the moment um, and what would that mean in, in more in, in more understandable um, more, concrete. more concrete terms is you start by paying attention to your breath uh, with the understanding that you will breathe regardless of your conscious effort or not, your body will just keep on breathing and this is one very very uh, important instrument that you can use in order to realize that there is an experience prior to your thought. So there is something going on before you think of something. Um, And starting from this point, you pay attention to the breath um, and the instructions are very, very simple. Uh, Your teacher will tell you, just sit down however it feels comfortable Close your eyes gently, don't squeeze your eyes, take a few deep breaths and then just let it go and be aware of the breath wherever it touches your, uh, your nostrils, for example. It can be the rising and falling of your chest or abdomen or it can be uh, the touch of the breath in the inside of your nose, the walls of the nostrils or it can be on your upper lip, wherever it is. Just try to be aware of the in-breath and the out-breath and try to cover it with your awareness. That's how the meditation, um, your, how your meditation journey will begin. And doing so, one will quickly realize that your mind tends to wander every second. Like you're trying to anchor your attention to one specific object of consciousness and yeah as i said quick enough you realize how exactly chaotic is the situation in your head and one can say that the aim of meditation which is kind of a controversial thing to say because it's supposed to be choiceless awareness this is the 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 goal of of uh, of, of meditation is to not select one particular sensation in the body or one pleasant thought over unpleasant you should try to remain as objective as possible and just observe rather than choosing but this is again something that you quickly realize it's a very hard task and i have a very um a a, a very dear and and near to my heart explanation of, of of meditation is that it's simple. The practice is very simple, as I said, but it's definitely not easy. It's it's a, it's a it's a hard um, it's a hard thing to observe 
only one specific thing in your area of consciousness without uh, being distracted every moment. I'm talking of moments, not seconds. Um, and the funny thing is that the first couple of times that I sat down and meditated, I thought that I'm doing great. I thought that I'm like a natural of this and that I, I don't understand what our people are complaining about. But soon enough, I realized by continue on doing this that I have just been thinking with my eyes closed like I was not actually meditating which was a progress because now I had gained some more um, some, some more focus some more awareness to actually realize that I was not meditating that I was thinking so that I considered a progress and as soon as you kind of dip your toe into actual meditation like this I, I believe that this is the the, 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 the first stage of, of meditating, you realize how actually distracted you are all the time, all the time. You always have this constant narrator in your head that is narrating every step of your, of, of, of your journey of, in your life from every decision that you make. It can either reassure or ridicule you for the decisions that you make. It's the voice in your head that is judging every person, situation, and outcome. Uh, it would be every, um, every uh, evaluation that you make. You're constantly distracted by a thought process. And as soon as you realize that, now your actual journey in meditation begins. Now you have a reference point what mindfulness is, which is another word for being paying attention for something that is actually happening, like the breath or like sounds that you hear, and not something that is the, this internal chatter, this internal narration. There is a very cool um, Buddhist, uh, a, a, a Buddhist jargon used, the monkey mind, which is this constant tug of war, like ongoing conversation that you have with yourself. And a cool, the cool thing that you realize is that you're actually crazy. You're actually a madman. Because if you are to have these conversations with yourself out loud, you would be undistinguishable from a schizophrenic person, you know? And as soon as I realized that, I was like, okay, there is something here. There is a, a, a thing in this meditation. Like, there, this is a thing that deserves, maybe not deserves, but... Uh, that's something that I would like to explore. I would like to see how far down the rabbit hole I can go with that. And there are tremendous benefits coming with it. Like, first of all, you, with the realization that you have at the very beginning that you're always, always distracted. And now you have this, this new tool in your kit that helps you to realize that. The moments of clarity, the moments of coming out of this, um, the, the moments of coming out from, uh, from, from the train of thought are a moments of victory. And you have like moments of victory again and again and again. And these moments eventually become into seconds. And if you sit for longer periods of time and meditate for like, let's say, 30 minutes at a time, the first 10 minutes would be just to calm your mind down and you might have somewhere around 10 minutes of actually you are doing meditation, which is realizing that you are distracted, coming back to the breath, inevitably get distracted again, coming back to the breath. And that's the whole practice. That's how the practice looks like for a very 
a, a, a very beginner person. Mm-hmm. And that was what I was doing for two years. I was sitting for 20 to 30 minutes a day, uh, sometimes twice a day. And the benefits that I was, uh, I was observing were I was by no means a changed person. I was incrementally changed. I, w- I was able to observe uh, very intense emotional states, how they appear, where they appear. Is there a marker in the body? Is there like a specific way that I feel anger? For example, how do I distinguish anger from happiness? Mm. Like we have this, um, we had this intuitive understanding. Of course, you know that you're angry. Of course, you know that you're happy. But if you if you peel the the onion layer more, how do you know that? Like where does it feel? Where the happiness is? Where the anger is? you start to realize that every intense emotion has a body marker, a somatic marker. Like, you've, like the so-called gut-wrenching experience is the same thing as the butterflies in the stomach. But it's just the, the cognitive aspect that gives the context. Now all of a sudden the same sensation in your body can be either pleasant or unpleasant. And you start to become more and more aware of that and less and less reactive. Or you react, but you're in a f- affected state for less amount of time. And I was like, okay, that actually, that, that's actually profound changes. Uh, uh, profound in the matter that now I have this new perspective that I just gained from this very practical thing. You don't have to believe in any metaphysics. You don't have to believe in any... Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, religious idea or, uh, or doctrine, all you do is trying to bring your attention back to something that actually is going on, not that something internal is happening, like a thought uh, or, or an affected state. And eventually I had, of course, times where I didn't meditate for days or weeks and I was coming back to it and I could definitely feel the reactive tendency appearing again more aggressively when I stopped meditating. And eventually years passed on and I was reading more about it and um, I was getting more and more interested and of course other things that are leading to exploration of different conscious states such as psychedelics uh, appeared in my life and I was ever more interested in, um, yeah, being an explorer of what reality could be for the experiencer of reality. And I decided to, and I was hugely influenced by, uh, by Sam Harris because he is, um, yeah, he's a longtime meditator and somebody who speaks with great clarity about meditation. And he was always telling that if you really want to understand the meditative state, then you should really try and find time to go to a retreat. Which makes sense, uh, and I can elaborate on that. The reason why it makes sense is that a meditation retreat is created for the sole purpose of you meditating and doing nothing else. There are several things that are vastly different from everyday life that are going on on a meditation retreat that are conducive to um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, a stronger 
a stronger um, focus, uh, more awareness, and just a, a better grip on uh, on your concentration. And those things are you take a vow of silence for the whole duration of these 10 days, which vow of silence does not only cover the vocal part of it, it covers gestures, no direct eye contact with any other meditator, which is something extremely weird for, for a human being because we live in this very socially dynamic world where we read other people's faces and gestures and eye contact and of course we use language to communicate with each other and all of a sudden uh, you end up in a situation where these things are absent which only only that on itself would be enough for 10 days to really put you in a different mindset but on top of that you wake up at 4am um, you have to, I'm, I'm going to walk you through a whole day of the, of the retreat you wake up at 4 you have 30 minutes to do whatever you want brush your teeth take a shower and you do that all in silence of course and then from 4.30 the actual meditation day starts um, you sit for 2 hours from 4.30 to 6.30 then you have breakfast then you have uh, an, an hour of rest from 7 to 8 you can wander around of, on the premises of the, of, the, uh, of the place that you're taking the course in and then from 8 to 9 is the first so-called group sitting which all of the students are obliged to go to it's in the meditation hall where the teachers are sitting and you do the first group sitting um, then you have another two hours of meditation either in your room or in the meditation hall and you have lunch at 11 from 11 to 12 you have lunch from 12 to 1 you have another hour of, 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 of free time and then you have another group sitting then you have another couple of hours of meditating either in your room or in the hall and then you have the last group sitting for the day from 3.30 to 4.30 and then uh, from 4.30 to 5, you meditate a little bit more. Then you have the last break of the day. Then you meditate a little bit more. And you have the so-called, from 8 to 9, you have the so-called Dhamma talk, which is a Dharma talk, which is basically the teacher uh, going through the technique that you learned today and the different aspects of meditation that you were practicing either breath work, which is for the first four days you do nothing but um, consciously following your breath. And every day the area that you follow it becomes narrower and narrower and narrower with the intention of sharpening your concentration. So the, the, the idea is that the smaller the area of, uh, 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 of, of exploration, the, more you, uh, the, the harder you work and the more concentrated your mind becomes which in my experience is true like both of the times it was true um, and this is for the first four days this technique is called Anapana which is some Pali word and Pali is the ancient language that was spoken in India by uh, the time that Buddha was alive and then on the fourth day in this particular retreat that I was visiting which are very famous around the world uh, Vipassana retreats, the, the main meditation technique is taught 
which is called Vipassana, which is basically translated, it's a body scan. What you do is you start from the top of your head, like the fontanella part of your head, and you scan your whole body in, in the beginning in bigger chunks, uh, and and when as the time progresses, you scan it in smaller chunks for any sensation that you feel. Like anything that you feel on your body is a sensation by nature. Like you cannot feel anything on your body which is not a sensation. Heat, perspiration, like tingling, buzzing, electricity, whatever it is, that's a sensation. And the goal is as soon as you feel one of those sensations, you move down. Like from your head, from the top of your head to the tips of your toes. And then you move from the tips of your toes to the top of your head. The idea of this being is to, in my opinion, is really to teach you of facing discomfort. Like really learning what discomfort is. Because from day four to day ten, in these three group sittings that I mentioned, you now observe something called aditan, which is another Pali word for strong determination. For these three hours of the day, whatever position you decided to meditate in, you're not allowed to change your posture for an hour. And the idea of that is that if pain occurs, you're observing pain. If itching occurs, you're observing itching. You're not allowed to do anything about it. I mean, of course, it's not a prison. You can do something about it if it's really bad and you can really not tolerate it. But but the idea is that you have to detach yourself from the mental aspect of oh that's pain and I'm so miserable from that pain and only try to observe the physical sensations that are coming with pain and a funny thing happens when you do that at least in my experience a funny thing happens is because I'm, I just um, came from a jiu-jitsu competition where I got injured I got uh, a, a rib injury that was particularly painful uh, for me uh, I just a, a little backtrack I, uh, I I have been physically active for most part of my life and I had like a bunch of injuries that I collected let's put it this way throughout the years but this one was particularly uh, uncomfortable because it the pain was always there when I was breathing so you breathe and you have this pressure that you feel in your chest because of the rib injury. And I had to observe that for 10 days. And the funny thing happens is that, first of all, you realize that it's not all the time there. You realize that uh, it's, you, you create these psychosomatic pains that you always think that the pain is there. And by thinking of it, you might create this... Um, yeah, this pathway that the pain actually exists when it, where it doesn't and your brain perceives pain which is a, a funny phenomenon that happens for example with amputees like the phantom limb is exactly this type of pain so I had to observe it and what happens when you try to detach yourself from that pain and try to depersonalize that pain like it's not my pain it's just something that I observe on the body what happens is that the sensation of pain actually is being breaking down like it's pressure and it's tension and it's heat and it's buzzing and throbbing and when you break these things down into their yeah into their building blocks 
none of them is pain it's the gestalt it's the the whole that it's, it's the pain but you are no longer aware of the whole because now you're concentrated on the different aspects of it because you have this crazy concentration that you gain during these days and um that's a, that's a profound thing to that can happen to you like all of a sudden now you are no longer suffering from the pain yes it's there i'm not going to say that it's magically disappearing it is there it's very real but you're okay with it uh, it the same goes with itching like that's one of the other things that i've never tolerated in my life whenever an itch occurs i'm going to be the first one that it's going to scratch myself but you watch the itch and eventually it passes away like it arises and passes away and that's one of the the teachings in in buddhism it's called another pali word anicca which means the 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 transient nature of experience everything that arises will pass away like everything is like that and you experience this like you know it intellectually like the the season changes like we experience day and then night and you know that everything changes like water boils and stuff like that but now you're experiencing it and you're experiencing it in the framework of your body which is a very very interesting experience and that gives you a tremendous relief all of a sudden you're no longer a prisoner of your own rumination about how miserable you are of pain or how happy you are of a pleasant sensation you are just observing it and this comes with a very profound sense of lightness like, like now you're very aware of your body and you are aware that your body is becoming somehow lighter metaphysically lighter because you're no longer um, a prisoner in your own body and that's pretty much sums up the meditation experience uh for 10 days on a retreat this is the um this is the meditation that i have been practicing for the past five years and this is the type of meditation that i have uh practiced on on this retreat as well and and this is the older tradition um the oldest that we know of uh, but something funny happened to me on the on this retreat right now is that despite uh, the instructions that were given by the teachers that in order for you not to get confused and not to yeah, experience difficulties along your way because it's a very fragile psychological state. Like everything is magnified for some time. And, and, and I'm going to share some very personal thing that happened to me on the first retreat is I went on one of the days, I remember it very, very clearly. Uh, it was around the, the middle of the, of the retreat. On one of the days, I sat down for the meditation. Everything was going great. And all of a sudden, all the worst things that ever happened to my life were projected on, on my eyelids. So I was like the witness of, um, of every bad decision that I made, of uh, every every cruel uh, action that I took against myself or others, uh, every cruel uh, action that was made against me or people that I love. And that would have been an extremely painful experience normally, but somehow I was just observing that. I was not identifying myself with these experiences. I was not identifying myself with these thoughts. 
and I was able just to observe them and that, this kept on going for hours and I was able to go basically to most of my memories from childhood to adolescence to my early 20s to all of the jobs that I was doing and, and, and kind of like I was the witness of my own life but from a detached perspective which was extremely therapeutic you, you, I was like okay I know that I should meditate now but when is going to be the next time that I'm going to get this opportunity and will I regret not taking this opportunity when it's given to me so I decided to dive in for one of the days into, into this internal um, Christmas carol type of experience you know and it was extremely therapeutic after that I was able to realize the relationships that I have with people that I love the relationships that I have with people that I thought that I hate but actually I no longer hate it because I felt that all of this was coming from deep deep suffering and grief inside of these people and they generated this tremendous amount of negativity that they channel outwards but this has to feel very tough for them living a life like that and I felt this immense feel of compassion towards those people and that's another thing that can happen that's you you just it's like an MDMA experience but induced by nothing uh, not nothing chemically connect, connecting to your receptors which is another technique that it's being taught but um, that's, that's irrelevant now on the second retreat I came with uh, a clear idea of trying to depict and trying to point my finger where exactly in my experience is the sense of self is my experience identical with the sense of self uh, can there be an experience without an experience of the self experiencing this and of course I read some literature uh, about it um, I know from neuroscientific perspective that the sense of self comes only last of the conscious experience so you actually react before you're even conscious of what's going on and then the sense of self it's kind of like the 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 lawyer that is justifying what you just did and i was like okay that's all fine and dandy but can i experience this self where exactly in my experience is the self is it like a little evgeny sitting in my head and uh and uh, leading no, uh, I mean how, how, how would you say that is, is there like a, a little Evgeny that is connected to this homunculus of a body that I have the experiencing body and then you have the experiencer of experiences inside of your head I was very critical of that idea I, I was going inside of that experience of the retreat with the intellectual understanding that there probably isn't a self that uh, is connected to us, and I, I was, I, w I was uh, approaching this problem very scientifically. I was like, okay, I can only test that in the laboratory of my own mind. There is no way that I can experience something from your perspective or something from the perspective of any other living creature or human being. I have only my experience. 
if there is one thing that I'm certain of is that, that I'm conscious and that's it. There, that's my bedrock. And going into that, uh, I followed the first four days with the concentration uh, around the breathing almost religiously, uh, which, which this time around was amplified a lot. Like from the second day on, I woke up the second day of the retreat and there was no narrator in my head. There was no clear distinctive thought pattern that was guiding my day and I was like okay that's interesting that's actually something that pretty much never happened to me before and this kept on going for another two days when I started to practice the other type of meditation that is coming from the Tibetan school of Dzogchen which starts with the idea that there is no self which starts with the idea that there is no experiencer of experiences. There is no hearer of sounds and seer of sights. And one very interesting um, method of inducing this state of selflessness that they have is by opening your eyes and select uh, an object in your eyesight and focus solely on it. And now try to shift your awareness of who is viewing that exactly. Where is the person that is seeing that? Or put it in another words, try to see your head. Have you experienced your head outside of physical sensation? Have you seen your head outside of a mirror? Or a shadow? That's the thing that you look down and there is your body. You look up and there is the ceiling or the sky, but where your head should be. No, it's okay. It's all right, don't worry. No, we're just being asked about the puffy little thingy that we have. <coughs> so go on. Uh, where your head should be, there is the world. <laughs> And by looking for your head, you fail to find your head. It's impossible to find your head, which is one of the tricks of getting you into this selfless state. It's looking for the looker. It's looking for your head. And you fail to find it. And I was doing that. From day four, I was like, okay, I don't want to do the whole body scan thing. I am very aware of the, of, 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 of the practical use of it. Uh, being uh, a, a being with a body that is tremendously useful to be aware of your body and aware of how emotions arise in the body but I was fixed on the idea of practicing this type of practice of the Dzogchen tradition and a funny thing happened like as soon as I was like looking at something and mind you, this is not an ordinary state of consciousness that you are uh, in when you are already 40 hours of deep concentration. You are capable of sustaining concentration for very long periods of time without breaking it by distraction. And I was looking for the looker. I was looking for my head. And all of a sudden, 
a very dramatic shift in the way that I perceived the world appeared on me that was only knowable and uh, only conceptualized by me from a psychedelic experience, the so-called ego death or ego disillusion. Uh, it didn't came with the whole shebang and fireworks of, uh, of, of psychedelics with visual distortions or auditory distortions, but the headspace, if I can use a loaded term like that, was completely the same. I knew that. I was very well aware of this feeling. I, I've been there. Like if there is a place, I've been there. And you realize that it's not something that it's very deeply covered in conscious experience. It's right there on the surface. You never experienced your head. You never actually experienced an eye. It's only thoughts that are kind of creating this eye moment by moment and as soon as you are um, outside of this whole thought free flow that it's happening and you're able to sustain attention now you have the possibility to look for something and by not finding it realize that it never was there and that, that is what happened to me and I was, I was having this experience of having no head or of having no self for pretty much five days on and it was the most profound thing that ever happened to me because by losing this sense of self and of course it was coming back to me of course thoughts were coming back but I was able to get there on, on demand again and again by trying to find the self by trying to find my head and failing to do so I was back again in, the, in this state of mind and this came with first of all with tremendous anxiety it came with an anxiety because this is such a weird state of mind that you're not familiar with that you it's the fear of the unknown and um, it's the it's the so-called thing that creates the bad trips in psychedelics when you're tr getting into that state which is normally the, the 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 stage of what people call the come up of the psychedelic is when you are building in into the experience and the sense of self is, uh, is, is loosening its grip on your experience. This is where things are beginning to look kind of the same, but feel tremendously different. All of a sudden, it's not you, a subject, looking outside of the world at objects. It's only what are you seeing, and you are what, you, what you're seeing. It's, uh, words doesn't do it justice, of course, but from an experiential um, perspective you actually never experienced reality. You only experience a renderation of reality that your brain provides for you with the sensual data that it has. So you never actually saw reality. You, all that you see, all that you hear, all that you touch is your brain translating what reality should be. So everything appears in consciousness. You never experienced nothing outside of consciousness and conscious states. And this becomes as clear as daylight when you are in this selfless state. You are, okay, there was never a self in this simulation that your brain creates. It's like, think of it as a, as a first-person shooter. You played those games, right? You are supposed to be someone that's moving, but you never see this someone. You know, you only see this gun. And you move the mouse and the, move, and the world moves with the mouse. But you never actually see this person. You're never an I when you play. There is no self. 
that is the character of this game. And this is exactly how it felt for me. I draw that metaphor from games because I was a gamer as a kid. And I was like, yes, it all makes perfect sense. Like there was never a self in this, uh, in, in this, um, in this renderation that our brain creates of reality. And by intellectualizing what happened to me, I was able to sustain that for longer periods of time. Uh, and that led me to the conclusion that I'm never again joining another 10-day retreat. Of, uh, of course, I, I am forever grateful for the opportunity that I had to come to this realization, but the practice that we were doing is very dualistic in a way that it tells you now you focus on your sensations of your body which creates this dualistic feeling that there is somebody inside of your body that is moving his attention up and down, which is what I call a red herring. It might eventually, it might eventually lead you to the realization that there is no one. But as I said earlier to you privately in our conversation, I think that if you want to go west, which is the goal of realizing that there is no self that is experiencing this life, that it's only experiences, it's only consciousness and its contents. You can go west, you can start from here and go west and end up there, which would be this Dzogchen tradition. Um, try to find your head, try to find yourself. And by failing to do so, realize that there was never thing. Or do this other tradition and try to go west by circling the globe eastwards and eventually maybe end up being at the place that you want to be and when I had that realization I'm like yeah of course I don't want to waste my time I don't I have very limited amount of time on this earth I get the utility of doing this body scan this vipassana it makes me happier it makes me calmer it makes me less reactive which are all very important things to have in your life, in my opinion. Like the world can benefit from less reactive people 100% and more uh, cognizant and aware people of, of, of their inner lives. But that's not what I was searching for with this meditation experience. And I found it. And of course, um, I am no longer on the retreat. I no longer can sustain this concentration and I'm very much a self that is experiencing the life again because the train of thought is back on, the narrator is back uh, full-time working the whole day, but now I have a tool that I can use. Now I have a concept of what it feels like, and, I, I am, and, and it gives you confidence that this is attainable, that one can live like that, that it's not a special thing, it's just a matter of, of, uh, of practice and it's a matter of actually an intellectual idea of realizing that you never experienced reality. All that you experienced is your consciousness and that's it. And in that consciousness, there was never a self. At least that's how it felt to me. I'm not preaching here saying that all of a sudden like everyone should drop their sense of self. No, there is a healthy sense of self. This is what keeps us alive. This is what nature coded in our genes with the so-called um, survival instinct, survival bias. It is the sense of self that you're trying to protect. It is 
the sense of your kid, that it's a self, an entity that you're trying to protect. That's not the self that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the self that is experiencing and narrating your life moment by moment. That's an illusion, and you can break out of that illusion by doing so, or I broke out of it by doing so. And I came to the conclusion that I can kind of build my own meditation retreat around that idea of, of pra practicing that. Because I realized that once you obtain this higher level of concentration by doing this breath work, actually when you end up in this um, headless, this selfless experience, you can do pretty much whatever, eyes open, eyes closed, as long as you are aware of what you are seeing is all there is, what you're hearing is all there is. There is no layer on top of it that is you that is experiencing it. You can do whatever. You can make your own food. There is no need for you to be on a place where the food is served. You can do whatever you want. And yes, the utility of not speaking is one that I would keep because as, as soon as you start speaking your mind starts speaking again like all of a sudden you verbalize your thoughts you verbalize everything that you're experiencing and this kind of locomotes the sense of self like it's like ah i'm back here yeah this is good this is bad all of a sudden all the judgments all the clinging all the aversion comes back online i would keep the the quietness of it I would do the full 10 days I would meditate for 8 to 10 hours a day but I would do this so called open awareness like there is no body that is concentrating on anything like you are pretty much already aware all the time of one thing or the other and if you sustain concentration by doing this breath work for the first couple of days which I would do you realize that yeah I'm aware I'm seeing I'm hearing I'm breathing, I'm walking, I'm doing all these things all the time and now I'm just aware of everything and I don't have to select something. This is the choiceless awareness that I was talking about. Everything is as good of an object of meditation in this state as the other. Everything. There is, you know, it, it, it's so weird. Like you can slap me on the face and it will feel the same as somebody giving me a blowjob. Like these two things are so neutral in terms of experience it's just another thing to be aware of and that's a tremendously happy place to be and happy in a very um, how to say it intrinsic way intrinsic happiness not bound on someone or something it's happiness of actually being able to experience that and and all of a sudden you end up in this childlike mentality where everything is something everything is an event like you lose the grips of these concepts of oh I know what car is I know what this sound is oh I know how trees are and I stop paying attention to them and I take them for granted no you realize that everything is a, is a very big uh, tremendously important experience that is going on now and this is this is what I would do. This is what I would try to do. Try to sustain this understanding and try to sustain this uh, practice by doing yearly, of course. Again, every year I would do that. But I would do it on my own. I would do it with my brother. I would do it with some friends that are interested. 
for 10 days, for 7, for 8 days, whatever. There shouldn't be this following of a ritual for 10 days, you sit and you do only that. That's besides the point. That's, in my opinion, missing the point, missing the marker by a mile. Very, with a great intention of these people to bring you into this practice and make you happier and healthier psychologically and mentally they are performing this sleight of hand where the whole idea of it is being done elsewhere. So that's my experience. I feel like this was the, on many levels, this was a extremely successful podcast and I know I'm going to bring it back to the podcasting thing, but um, not to take away from the amazing content of what you said and if any anybody who's listening who you know is confused by that don't worry i'm also confused by it no <laughs> but uh, i mean it was a, i mean needless to say i have probably you know 100 questions about sure you know every single step of the way but i think that there's a lot of universal stuff that we all understand and we can all understand uh, what evgeny has told us in this amazing podcast that has been almost an hour which is i i actually thought we would cut it short you know and do like you know half of that but and and so that in itself just a great um uh communication of this experience that Evgeny gave us is you know one thing that makes this podcast episode whatever number it is i don't really care at this point because I'm trying to like get out of that in some way similar to what you've been trying to do with your meditation is like just trying to get this thing down to like a very you know earthly level you know it's like who all these numbers who who gives a fucking shit but not only that but also I didn't speak at all yeah. in this in this one which is which is not normal <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm I feel compelled as you know the producer co-host whatever you know, whatever function I think I'm... And this probably all ties into, like, all the meditative stuff that you, you were talking about. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to sit here and say nothing, and I think that might be okay, you know? And I actually really think that it was better that I didn't. And so, yeah, I think that this was a great experience for me to hear that. I mean, I heard, like, like you said, I heard, you had already told me a bit and actually, now I understand more more about what you told me off off air. Uh, now that you like went into more details, so the whole red herring thing, you know, especially since we have you know the po- the exactly. uh, um, fallacies podcast together. Like at first, when you mentioned it off air, I was like, "What do you mean red herring?" Now I understand. It's basically a diversion. Yeah, you know, and, pen. yeah. Like, look here and do and do something with the other hand. Yeah, and so. You know, needless to say, there's so many questions. Would you come back for another yeah, discussion course, about uh, about meditation and maybe like we can choose like details to to talk about? Yeah, of course, and we can even like do a little five minute guided meditation on people that are in, in, interested in trying out. Like it would be my pleasure to to do so because it's an immensely consequential uh, thing that you can do in your life. I'm I'm not a snake oil salesman or anything. This is something that. You can try, and if it works for you, then great. If not, at least you gave it a shot. It's nothing. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. But, but paying attention—that's it. Cool. So um, there was a lot of other stuff that I wanted to talk to you about because it's, I think it's been over a month since we actually yeah. saw. Or, yeah, definitely over a month uh, since we saw each other. 
a lot of things have happened. Um, this is technically the first recording that I've done since the last one, which I guess goes without saying if you are following this podcast. But um, I took a, a quite a long break from podcasting, and uh, I think this is a great way to you know start uh, the new year, or at least the new year uh, of Voices from the Dark. Um, look forward to other content. I think I mentioned on, on, on Facebook something about beer. Again, we're in Hopfenreich, which is a great craft beer bar. I want to do more stuff uh, actually interfacing with these people and also other craft beer uh, places around wine. Um, more politics, more craziness, you know, more artists, everything. And uh, yeah, um, thanks for coming along on the ride and thanks for listening. And thanks again, Evgeny, for you know always being a good sport maybe we'll even bring up the fucking mistaken ideas again i don't know yeah why not who, who knows who all right knows? uh any parting words my friend uh it was again a, a pleasure for me to uh to be able to share that with you steve and with anyone who is listening this is something that is very personal to me uh, but at the same time i think it can if it if it benefits to at least one person of giving it a try then I did my job, you know, that's what I think. Uh, because I really believe in this. Uh, I really believe in the utility. And don't get me wrong, I'm a very skeptical person. I am a, I'm a deeply atheistic person. But we shouldn't, we, we, we shouldn't uh, throw the baby with the bathwater. There is a there-there there in this um, practice of meditation, which I believe that can be beneficial for one and all. Okay, cool. Those are great parting words. Um, this has been Voices from the Dark. Enjoy the rest of your week, peoples. Peace.